My name is Kara Ginger, and your host of the Biteable Podcast, Know Better, Live Best. Today's guest is David McConnell, the principal and head grower for Infinity 100 Farms in Raleigh, North Carolina. He manages the farm's multiple sites, which total over 30 acres, and make Infinity 100 Farms one of the largest urban farms in the United States. Listen as we discuss how he juggles being a father, artist, record producer, furniture designer, and last but not least, a full-time farmer. Know Better Live Best is dedicated to supporting food and health literacy in people of all ages. Our mission is to cut through the misinformation surrounding food, health, and nutrition because we believe that when people know better, they can make the right choices and live their best lives. We are presented by Biteable Foods. They use blockchain and Internet of Things technology to build traceable, transparent food systems because it shouldn't take an investigative journalist to find out where food comes from. Hello, everyone. I'm here with Dave McConnell of Infinity 100 Farms. Hi, David. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm so happy to be talking with you tonight. Um, as we were talking briefly before we got started, I just think your background's so interesting with what you're doing now, but yet I have a feeling I'll find out like a big correlation between what you did. So talk a little bit first about, I mean, artist, record producer, furniture maker. I love it. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, yeah, so since, you know, since I was a kid, I was always interested in music, um, as far back as I can remember, my father was a concert pianist, um, and he kind of got me interested in it a little bit, but, um, I got into a different style of music than he was into, and I just kind of ran with it, I guess I was a little rebellious, and I got interested in recording music a lot, like music production, and, um, by the time I was 18, uh, I was already recording, uh, producing albums for other artists. And I was, you know, basically like one of the youngest, if not the youngest record producer in the industry at the time. And um, I just, I just loved making albums with people. And I did it for many years. I even made my own, some of my own records. And I had a few bands and we toured the world many times. And, um, you know, I made over a hundred albums with, with different artists. and. Um, you know, of, of all different types, and, um, and 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 some of them were famous, and, and a lot of them were not, and but they were all just you know really interesting uh, projects, and you know, a working with people, especially musicians, is is interesting. Uh, it's, it can also be challenging, um, but you know, I was basically responsible for making sure that their projects were were good essentially like you know I tried to get the best out of all the artists that I worked with so I did that for a long time for more than a decade and um, you know eventually the, the the record industry sort of collapsed if you will because of digital technology right mm -hmm. so like album sales just sort of just weren't happening anymore um, after about like you know the year 2000 so um, uh, you know all the record labels went out of business like most most of them did um, and so, uh, I couldn't really make a living at that anymore. And I was also, uh, transitioning out of my relationship at the time. And I was like, you know what, maybe I should leave California and just start over. And so I, I left California, um, where I'd grown up my whole life. And I basically just jumped on an airplane with a backpack and, um, ended up in North Carolina. And... After a couple of weeks of being in North Carolina, I was in Asheville, the small town of Asheville, 
and I loved it. And after, after being there for a couple of weeks, I found a house and um, decided to stay. And I was just walking down the street one day and I walked into an art supply store and just bought like a can, a roll of canvas and a bunch of paint. And I went home and threw the canvas down on the floor. I didn't even have like a proper easel or anything like that. I just threw it on the living room floor and I started painting. And so that was the beginning of what became like a 15 year art career. And, um, I was still making records too in Asheville. I, ha I had a recording studio there as well. So I was like making records while I was painting and, and, you know, I found an art gallery and my, my work was shown in a bunch of galleries, you know, around the country. And then I got my first major museum show and then more museum shows. And then I ended up showing at like six major museums in the United States and sort of, you know, sort of got a really good, um, name for myself as an artist but then you know almost like the music industry the art world sort of collapsed in around like i don't know 2009 you know or 2010 after the you know the the collapse of the yep. you know the whole the whole economy really mm -hmm. you know people stopped buying art pretty quick stop buying art pretty fast after you know after the economy tanks so that's kind of what happened and um i I spent a few years just trying to figure things out. I was still doing art just because I felt like I had to do it. But um, in 2010, my son was born. And, and after that, the way that I thought about things changed pretty dramatically, um, just the way that uh, the world works and, and people and, and animals and plants. And so, um, uh, you know, I was hurting financially. I was a single father trying to support this kid on my own. And there were times when I would go without a meal, uh, sometimes for a few days, um, where I'd just be drinking water and, and, you know, like forced fasting, if you will. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> because I didn't have the money to feed myself and my kids. So I, I, I'd be feeding him, cooking for him, um, these really healthy meals, uh, you know, what I thought were really healthy meals. Um, but I wasn't nourished. So um, I started researching ways to, to be more food stable, if you will. I read all the books I could from the library, um, and I started that way. I read what I could online. But I, I became a forager. I learned how to forage for food, um, just like in my neighborhood and in, and in the woods nearby, in fields. And just learn how to identify wild edible plants. And that's how I started to feed myself. And um, after I started doing that, I, you know, it opened up my mind to so many possibilities. And uh, I loved it. I loved foraging. I loved being out in nature. Like, it made me happy. Even though I wasn't really financially stable, I was extremely happy. Like, way happier than I'd been in years. Oh. And... Um, I, I, I took that foraging knowledge and I expanded on it by learning about cultivating food and uh, reading about agriculture and, and all the while reading about uh, sociological sort of issues around the world and how they're related to food and, and how civilizations have actually you know, collapsed over time. If you look at history, how, how, how that correlates to food and agricultural systems and how you know, giant empires have just collapsed overnight 
you know, if you look at history, and a lot of that is actually related to food, to agriculture in particular, um, desertification, you know, so many uh, major, uh, you know, civilizations have failed because of desertification because they were growing food for massive amounts of people in a way that was not sustainable for the land. So I researched a lot about that for many years. I got, um, I read a lot about permaculture. I read a lot about, um, you know, all the different techniques, you know, going back to ancient techniques, you know, and, you know, ways that people cultivate food all, all around the world. And, and just looking for my favorite um, parts of each one of those uh, styles of growing food. And I kind of made my own style out of my favorite bits of all the different, you know, methods out there. And just started experimenting and playing with it. And my son and I, when he was about four and a half, started cutting all the bamboo out of the backyard to make way for a garden. And that was the beginning. And I started just experimenting with all these different strategies for growing food um, in our backyard and, you know, taking notes on what worked and what didn't. And, um, and then I just slowly started to expand on that. And I, and eventually I got a job working at, at our only certified organic farm, you know, in, in our County, in Wake County, it's called Hilltop Farms. And I was assistant grower there for two years. I learned a lot there. Um, but I still felt like I had to learn more. And, and so I moved on and I started, that's when I started infinity hundred farms. And, and I just, I started that on a quarter acre and I, I, I began with a very small CSA, um, and my CSA model was delivery. So I had like five or six members, and I just delivered stuff that I was growing out of my backyard to them once a week. And it was enough to help me with my bills and, and support my son and all that. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. Like, I wonder what I could do with more land and more time and more research and um so that's how it all started and and from there i just you know kept growing the the farm to where now we're like you know one of the largest land-wise one of the largest urban farms in the country and uh you know it's like i said earlier it's probably the second hardest job in the world <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's really challenging, but every day I feel so um, fulfilled with what I do, even though it's extremely hard and I'm always exhausted, but, um, but I love every minute of it. Well, it's interesting earlier how you touched on just how happy you felt. You know, financial um, issues can really cause stress on people and bring them down, but that's not what you did. You were, you know, a problem solver. You went out and you were, you know, how can you feed yourself since you're already taking care of your son, you know, like the fabulous father you are, but you really touched on how great you felt. And so that it actually kind of makes sense how you continued on the path you then went on. Um, mm -hmm. And with Infinity 100 Farms, you talked about being a CSA. Can you talk a little bit more about what a CSA is for all the listeners? Yeah, you know, that, that term is strange because it's, it's called, you know, it's community-supported agriculture, right? So it's, you know, it's, you know, you would think that it's basically the community supporting the farmer. 
but actually it's almost the reverse. Um, it's more of the farmer supporting the community, at least when it's done right. So, um, you know, you know, some people refer to it as like getting a, a subscription to a produce share or a produce box or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like that because, you know, like when you subscribe to a magazine, you know, you get that magazine once a month or biweekly or whatever. But with the food, you get a box of food every week that's grown by somebody you trust, right? So I'm that guy in my community, and that's what I do here in Raleigh. And this is a booming city. It's like growing just create. You know, the amount of people that move here every day is insane. This, this is one of the most, you know, sort of loved cities in America right now and talked about cities. So people are just moving or flocking here, you know. And the job market's good and all that. So what I'm doing is growing this urban farm downtown where real estate is basically skyrocketing. I'm growing food on that proper, on these properties and trying to feed these people in my community who are interested, who care about this stuff, who are, who are educated enough to know that, hey, there's this guy you know, that gives us a box of food every week that's extremely fresh and extremely nutrient dense which is the term really is the takeaway term nutrient density so like i'm growing my vegetables to be extremely healthy the way that vegetables were about 60 years ago before industrial ag really took over well i should say more like 75 years ago and you know god i just heard this crazy statistic the other day actually that speaks to this um something about an apple that you would have to eat like i don't know a dozen or so apples to get as much nutrient content as one apple 70 years ago really and i don't know if that's true but that's one of the statistics i've recently heard but i do know that it's true that that nutritional value in food has been you know decreased exponentially over time because of the way the soil has been abused by by large uh, industrial agriculture so a small farmer like myself can really pay attention to that soil and if they're really careful they can actually make it better over time and and um, uh, really treat that soil like like you know you really start to treat it like a family member almost you know you 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 feed it and you you nurture it and you take care of it then the vegetables that come out of that soil in return will nurture you um in an optimal way so um that's really what i'm striving to do with the csa is, is give these people what they deserve which is health because they're not going to get that from their government the government does not do that. The government, you know, the USDA, you know, you know, the, you know, they're out there trying to make sure people aren't getting poisoned, but they're really not monitoring the health. They're, you know, they're not being proactive about, hey, we want our people to be healthy. Mm -hmm. So in a way, I think that's what, what I'm doing. That's my job is to make sure that my community is healthy. My people that come to me to get the food, I'm taking care of them. They're, so, you know, even though it's called community-supported agriculture, you know, it, it's, it's kind of the opposite, you know, it's kind of like, um, uh, agriculture supported community. Well, I love that idea. And I feel like you're making it more convenient for them to be healthy. You know, well, like, you try. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I think that's the challenge for a lot of people. Um, I think many want to be healthier, 
may not always know how to do it, but you learn, but sometimes it's just hard. Like as I, you know, winter can be difficult. Um, finding fresh produce, like you said, when you're going to the store, I look through things and you're just like cringing some of the oh, times because it, it's yeah. been sitting for how long. And like you said, when you get that fresh food, how much, I'm sure it's tastier. I can only imagine. I've oh said it, but I'm sure it's you know, tastier. It's night and day. My CSA member is just like, you know, can't stop talking about how delicious the food is. They, you know, they don't really talk about the nutrient density. They talk about the flavor. They're just like, this stuff tastes amazing. Like, we can't shop at the grocery store anymore because we're ruined now, you know? And that's how it is, you know? Mm -hmm. That's totally how it is. That's how my kid is. You know, he, he won't touch a carrot that's from the store because he has the ones that are growing in the garden, you know? And he's like, God, you know, this is candy. Whereas the <laughs> one from the grocery store tastes like cardboard, you know? Right. So, yeah, there, you know, there's a huge flavor difference. But also, you know, it's more beautiful. You know, I, I harvest the day that my CSA picks up, I always harvest the same day. Nothing gets stored overnight even. Whereas like the stuff you get from the grocery store, it sits on a truck for a week and a half. I mean, it sits in a warehouse first, then on a truck, then in another warehouse, then another truck, and then another truck. You know, that's how our food system is failing to, to do what it needs to do. It's, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous to try and feed a population that way. To warehouse food, uh, you know, unless you're talking about grains or root vegetables, to warehouse food is just not, it's just not ideal and it's not working for the health of our, of our culture, of, of our community. And um, unfortunately, the culture has bought into it. The American culture has bought into that food system and thinks it's right, thinks it's okay. Um, they think that the government allows it, so it must be okay. Mm -hmm. and unfortunately it's not and um you know just because it's not poisoning you doesn't mean that it's okay to be eating this stuff you know um, because over time it does poison you by depleting you of nutrients and depleting you of what you really need to sustain a healthy life right it just sounds like a dream to go pick up that fresh <laughs> box of produce so what are some typical um items in the box right now that your clients pick up well, so I, I literally just got home from my CSA. So I can tell you what was in it today. So, um, today we had, um, it was a pretty interesting list. We had Hakurai turnips, which are a favorite among the, the members. Um, it, you know, I refer to them as the crack cocaine of the CSA box. Because we have <laughs> more of those Hakurai turnips. Um, so I'm growing a lot more of those these days to keep everybody happy. Um, Let's see, today we had, we, we had azuki bean sprouts. We had um, pea shoots. We had a red butterhead lettuce, hydroponically grown. We had a bib lettuce, hydroponically grown. So they got two types of lettuce. I always like to give them a red and a green. They got, um, what else did they get today? Um, oh, they got... Uh, um, sweet Thai basil today, um, and, a, and a few more items that I'm just not thinking of right now. It'll come to me in a minute, but, you know, they got about 10 or 12 things today, and then we also have a trade box where they can, um, if they don't like any item in their share, they can swap it out into the trade box, and so today the trade box was had um, 
this gorgeous rainbow shard in it, Swiss shard rainbow, you know, just multicolored um, shard in it. And um, that's what they could trade out for if they didn't like one of the items, you know. And, uh, you know, the, the members love having the flexibility of being able to trade stuff out. And in fact, when they show up, the box isn't prepared for them yet. They actually do it market style. So they grab a box and then they go down the aisle and they take one of each and put it in their, in their share. That way they get to see everything individually before it's in the, the box. That way they can ask questions about each item if they want. They can, um, you know, see what's going into their box. And then they can also be like, well, I don't like whatever it might be. Maybe it's mint or cilantro or something. Last week, there was a couple people who, who didn't want cilantro, so they switched that out into the trade box. Um, I think it was like pop choy or something that they traded for. No, actually, I think it was Hawkeye turnips. But anyway, <laughs> so, so yeah, it's winter here. It's not as cold as where you're at, but because of greenhouse technology, I'm able to have CSA 365 days a year. And, and, and produce. I mean, I'm harvesting over a thousand pounds of produce a week, basically. Wow. Uh, in the winter. <laughs> That's in the winter, in the dead of right. winter. Um, in, in, in the summer, it goes up from there. But, you know, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's crazy that more farmers aren't growing in the winter. The, you know, there, there's a huge uh, market gap because, because they're told that they can't do it in the winter, but they can. And, it's just learning how to do that, how to do it effectively, how to have a crop rotation in the winter. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, like I say, you know, there's always at least 10 things in their share, even in January or February. So, yeah, there's, you know, if I can do it, people can do it. You know, it's, it's not all that difficult if you want to put in the time to learn how to do it. Right. And just thinking outside the box, I think we all can get pretty comfortable with what we do for a living. <laughs> without you know thinking of change and I just like I said the produce some of the produce I get right now and I still need to look outside the box too with what is available to me but it's it spoils so quickly so I'm sure the shelf life of your fresh food is so much longer oh big time yeah I mean that's one of the reasons why people come to us is because they know you know, that stuff is not going to go bad very quickly. And because uh, we harvest it the day of, you know, the right. day PSA picks up. We har- you know, it's usually been harvested within an hour, half of it anyway. If not, you know, if, if not that morning, it was harvested right before they pick up. Right. So uh, it's no more than about, you know, four or five hours tops from the time it was harvested to the time they pick it up. But usually more than half of their share was harvested within one hour of pickup. And so, yeah, the shelf life is amazing. Like some, some of these members tell me like, yeah, I still have stuff from two weeks ago in my fridge. And it's, you know, and it's like, yeah, (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yeah. That wouldn't happen from a store. (laughs) When when I take it home, I still, you know, I still have stuff too. So yeah. um, Whereas if you get it from the grocery store, it's already been sitting for over two weeks. So you're, you're getting it right at the end of it's, you know, of all the good, you know, potential for that vegetable, it's, it's already gone. So. Yeah, I have to buy produce weekly. Oh, um, yeah. Yep, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> for us to eat because it, it goes, but you can tell when it's Friday and we're going downhill, like just yeah. looking at produce if we haven't gotten through it, you can tell. And some I have to just even stop midweek to get some more because I don't, because 
I've thrown away my fair share or, you know, at least um, with compost and things like that because we just couldn't make it work or maybe right. freeze or things like that. And it's, we're definitely, it's still a learning curve of what to do um, before it spoils or just so you're not throwing it away. Um, I know we composted and we're still trying to get back into that and work that out with our home, but it's, yep. it's interesting. So if it was fresh longer, you can make so many more things with it. And I could just, like I said, I'm just kind of drooling. I'm also hungry, but thinking about <laughs> the freshness of the food. So is it, a lot more time consuming with your winter CSA? Time consuming. Like, does it take long? I mean, I'm trying to think. Just when you're growing, is it, or is it once you've got it set up and how it works? Do you say you use a greenhouse? Yeah, I use, I use several greenhouses. And so, you know, we, do, we control the environment to a certain extent. Um, you know, we don't want to use a ton of energy. So, we're not controlling it. You know, we're not trying to grow like tomatoes in, in winter or something like that. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're growing crops that are already cool, cool season crops, okay. right? Cause we, we don't want to be wasting energy. Um, we don't want to be using fossil fuels to grow food in the winter. Right. So, um, we want to keep the carbon footprint as low as possible. Okay. Um, there are a couple of times when it, you know, the temperatures might dip below, you know, below 10 degrees and we might have to like have some heat going for a couple of hours in the wee hours of the morning, mm -hmm. you know, but, but really it's, it's mainly just using uh, passive energy systems. Uh, we do have some supplemental lighting here and there, which I find uh, if you use led lighting um, is, is pretty uh, efficient. Um, Actually, I'm looking at some right now. I'm at home now. My uh, even at home, my back porch, I've converted into a greenhouse, a hydroponic greenhouse. And actually, I could even show you if you want to see it. Yeah, I could just uh, probably bring this over. Let's do it. So you know, and and for me, I I, I think this is the future of food for a lot of people. So this is my little patio off oh, of my wow. and so I've got three levels of plants growing in here. I don't know if I, you can see it well or not. But anyway, at the top here, you've got like strawberries, lettuces, herbs, um, you know, all growing on top. And then in the middle down below, you know, we've got more herbs. You can see there's basil, arugula, um, beets, uh, turnips, more lettuces in the back. And then all the way down here at the bottom, I don't know if you can see that, are microgreens. So there's three levels of food growing just in this tiny patio here, um, all lit by just very efficient LED lights. And so it's a greenhouse. So during the day, the sun um, heats it up. And, um, and what happens is the thermal reaction from the sun's heat actually heats my house, too, in the winter. Oh, cool. So I use very little... Um, I use very little, um, you know, heat in my house as well. So it sort of, you know, it sort of helps with energy costs as well. And just to, just to have that greenhouse off of the back patio there, you know, helps with expenses as well. And it lowers the carbon footprint of, of where I'm living. Um, but, you know, the greenhouses at the farm are huge. They're like, you know, 70 foot long, you know, by 30 foot wide, you know, type right. greenhouses. That so. is so cool. I would never have guessed that was just right off to the left of you. 
yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and that's 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 what we eat. You know, that's that's our food supply. So, um, you know, when we go to the grocery store, it might be for like, you know, some pasta. You know, we might get some dry pasta, maybe a bottle of wine. Nice. You know, and and that's about it. You know, <laughs> and then you know, or, or like if we need like some soap or something, but. You know, we, we're never in the produce aisle. Very rarely does that happen. Your grocery bill's got to be so low. It's lower than most people I know, for sure. That's awesome. <laughs> how amazing. So you can tell how passionate you are about this, and you even um, spoke about that when you, you know, had your son, how mm -hmm. the world kind of started, you know, the look maybe of how you were looking at the world and um, the food system. So tell us a little bit about your mission statement for um, Infinity 100 Farm, because you talked about empowering the community, advocating sustainability, and supply local produce. Do you want to go in a little more depth about that? Sure, yeah. So it's, you know, obviously they're all kind of intertwined. So mm -hmm. like, you know, we're empowering the community by just bringing them health. You know, we're bringing them uh, something they wouldn't be able to get um, if we weren't here, you know. Um, there are a few farmers nearby, but, you know, um, they're really not quite reaching the audience yet. You know, there's still, you know, a lot of the farmers that I know are still sort of in that incubator phase where they're like kind of trying to figure it out. Okay. So, um, or they're just selling, you know, to, to, to like restaurants or whatever. So what we're trying to do with, with our CSA is empower people through health, right? We're, we're selling them this food at a discounted price. Um, Every week we plan our box by giving them 20% uh, uh, cost reduction on, on what they would pay at the grocery store, sometimes more. So, um, you know, we're empowering them, you know, in the obvious way there by giving them this, this incredibly nutrient-dense food, which makes them healthier, mm -hmm. uh, saves them, you know, healthcare costs, A, because they're eating better. Um, B, it saves them money because not only because of the shelf life, but also because it's cheap. It's literally, our produce is literally cheaper. Uh, so then they would pay at the store. So, so that's, that's the one way we're empowering the community. The other way we're doing it is through education. So we have educational programs at the farm also that we offer, you know, not just about food, not just about farming, but we teach them about sustainability in all these different ways. Um, you know, one, you know, one of my, uh, you know, key, uh, educational um, offerings at the farm is the yoga class that we have there. Um, you know, that's empowering people, um, by, you know, you know, through, you know, through health, through avenues of health, but it's also sustainability. Katie Breen yoga is, you know, key to that, key to our mission. She's in there, you know, year round outside teaching yoga outside in, in the, in the warm months. In the cold months, she takes the class into our greenhouse, our hydroponic greenhouse, and they do yoga in there. You know, in, there, there's a couple of great photos on our Instagram page um, of, of her doing the yoga class in this hydroponic greenhouse. So you see, like, thousands of plants, you know, and then people doing yoga right in the center of all of it, you know. So, so there's all these educational components, and, and we do offer classes on sustainable farming, too, and, and, and we've done classes on food fermentation, you know, how to preserve food through fermentation. You know, it's just a wonderful thing to know about. And it's fascinating, you know. Um, 
but that's also related to health. So, every, you know, everything's related to health that we do. And, um, uh, and, and it's, and it's a lot of fun, you know, at the same time, you know, we teach people composting. They love that. They love learning about mm -hmm. stuff like that. Okay. Uh, you know, wh whether it's about health for humans or health for the environment, it's all about health. Oh, it's all intertwined, how it goes together. And it's probably interesting that um, your customers that are doing yoga, they're surrounded by this healthy food. <laughs> this is like you said, you well, work out, mind, body. Well, that's the cool thing about Katie is that, you know, when she's teaching yoga, she, you know, part of the class is you leave with a head of lettuce. So, you know, of hydroponic lettuce. So, like, you go and do yoga for an hour and a half, and then you leave with a head of lettuce, you know. <laughs> so, you know, just, it's perfect. Where else can you do that? I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, it's, it's like agritourism at, at, at its finest, really. It's amazing. So it's interesting because, and I'm not sure if you listened, but um, in one our previous podcast with Rebecca Beck of oh. Raleigh City Farms, and oh. you, so you are in contact with this farm, correct? <laughs> well, we're literally basically the same farm. So Raleigh City Farm is our partner. Is your partner uh, farm. Yeah, so we... Uh, we actually do the farming part of it. Raleigh City Farm is our, uh, they sort of do all the advocate work for mm -hmm. on our behalf. They are, they are a nonprofit. They are the ones who do the community outreach on our behalf. So what we do is we take care of the land. Well, they, they do some of that too with volunteer work actually. Yes. Uh, you know, you know, they, they, they do like wine and weeds where volunteers <laughs> will come out and help weed and stuff like that. But as far as the farming part, that's our job. That's what Infinity 100 does. And then Raleigh City Farm is the community outreach and support system that we, that, that we really are grateful to have because we couldn't do this without them. And, right. and I mean, they, they help us in so many ways because we're farming, you know. So, like, farms would be so much more successful if they had a Raleigh City, you know, you know if they had a nonprofit helping them, supporting, giving them that support. I think small farms would be so much more successful. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's funny how you brought the, the wine and weed. Cause that's one of, it's funny how the, the few things I always remember. I'm like, oh, I remember the wine and weed. No, there's so many cool uh, <laughs> ideas they talked about that really brought the community in. And that's uh -huh. how you're talking about it. It's really is supporting the community and, you know, supporting each other really with the healthy food and the yeah. teaching and the yoga and, you know, even wine. Even wine, you know, brings people together. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it's good community building right there. <laughs> it, you, you did touch on this a little bit, but just um, to sum it up. So why do you think it's so important to build strong communities around food? Um, I think it's important to build strong communities, period. Um, right. I, I, I think that food just happens to be a way that you can do it really successfully because people love to eat, right? Um, but American culture is such that, you know, it's such a fast food culture, you know. Um, people um, have really tried to dumb down the way that they eat because, you know, whether it's because they're too busy, um, or, you know, or, or it's just a choice. But, um, but really people, it, what they've done is they've taken something that used to take a couple of hours and they've, they, they try and make it as quick as possible. Now let's, let's have our dinner within, you know, 20 minutes because we're busy. We got stuff to do 
or they just don't enjoy or know how to prepare that meal uh, in a healthier way. So, so, so part of it's a lack of education, um, um, but it's really just the cultural shift that's happened in our society, the post-industrial shift, if you will, that began during the industrial age and now is just getting sort of more exaggerated in the post-industrial age and in the digital age for that matter. So, you know, the mentality of, of our culture is very, you know, much that, you know, even look at like Amazon, you know, it's like people won't even go shopping anymore. They just want that delivered to the door, you know, everything. And so, uh, you know, I feel like our culture is just trying to, to expedite every element of their lives now. And, uh, Unfortunately, that is not community building. That that takes away from community building. Families don't don't connect when they don't sit down for an hour and eat at the table. They just you know that family is less likely to be harmonious if they do not sit down and have that meal for an hour um, every every day, twice a day. If you know, hopefully at least right. So breakfast, lunch, and dinner if you can. But but even one meal a day you know that family has such a better chance at being a successful family unit if they do it even just once for an hour at night at the end of their long days you know instead of like all right everybody grab your um you know your tv dinner and go do your thing it's just just the just the act and sitting down at that table and, and and actually talking to each other it's that simple it's that you know there's no science here behind this it's just sit down and talk to each other, you know, and eat. And it's true. <laughs> and that's when I find my boy, boys are more willing to talk about their school days uh -huh. is at dinner or at bedtime. Like when, you know, you're reading a book or just, you know, chilling and relaxing on those nights that seem a little less hectic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, and the struggle definitely can be real and, and challenging, but that is something that I think is really important is sitting down. Um, you know, for a little bit talking about your day, like sh giving them your undivided attention with like the TV off or yes. you know, cell phone put down or, you know, whatever else that can be there and distracting. Totally. totally. Yeah, and I think I, it helps relationship with food. Yes. Yes, it does. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, if people just take the time, uh, even if it's like learning a couple of recipes, you know, and, and then finding a place to get fresh ingredients for those recipes. You know, finding your local, you know, grower, your local orchardist, your local gardeners, you know, but, but also really, um, you know, if you can grow it yourself, you know, um, it's not that hard once you start doing it. And, um, you know, I think that's the future of food, especially as we get overpopulated. Um, we're not going to be able to rely on big agriculture to sustain our society anymore, in my opinion. And people are going to have to do stuff like I'm doing back here on their balconies or their patios. You know, they're going to have to grow that stuff uh, by themselves <laughs> or else they're not going to have it, you know. And uh, the processed food companies are probably okay with that because they'll just keep dumbing down the quality of their products as the resources are drained as the soil is, is totally depleted across the nation, uh, around the world, actually. But... Um, yeah, it's just people are going to have to start, you know, doing this themselves eventually anyway. So, well, you're just seeing what you're doing is really inspiring because I think what 
and I'm sure many people are like me and feel this way, especially, you know, winners, especially the Midwest when, you know, yeah. you can't think of your typical growing. I mean, people garden in, the, you know, the spring, summer, fall, you can, you can do some things, but then it's that winner that gets me. But all it takes is more, probably what you're saying, just look into it a little more. It might be I a mean, little challenging I mean, at first. Yeah, I'm looking behind you right now, and I see on top of your cabinets that you could have like about 50 heads of lettuce growing very easily right there. Really? Just right above the cabinets? Hydroponically, yeah. Yep. Very oh, easy. Really? Yeah, you have the space for it. Totally. You can just use a few LED lights. You'd be running lettuce all winter long. You guys would never have to even worry about going to the store. And not just lettuce. You could, be, you could have your herbs up there and your microgreens and, and your kale and all that stuff. Just right on top of your cabinets there at work. You know, no problem. I would have you, never thought of that. All you need is a step stool to get up there and harvest that stuff. Right. But it's so easy. Once you plant it into the system, it takes such little maintenance. If you're using a hydroponic system, you have to do so little. You just monitor it just, you know, every few days just to make sure that, you know, things are going right. But it's, you know, it's, you know, it's not like people think of when they think about growing food, like, oh, you got to get out there and, you know, <laughs> dig in the soil and, oh, oh you know, it's nuts. Yeah, you know, hydroponics, you can do it in your kitchen, you know, and grow enough food for your family. So, um, yeah. That is something to look into because you, I want fresher food, yeah. you know, and I'm willing to put in the time, especially, I mean, I'll do a lot, even on the weekends, you know, I've talked about this a lot, trying to just prep ahead. So, you know, when you get home at five o'clock at night and the kids go to bed at like seven, seven thirty, you know, you want to have as much done so you can spend more time with them. Absolutely, but you can yeah. still have fresh food. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you, is this, you talked about the future of maybe even in homes doing more of their growing. Is that kind of what you see for the future? Or are you hoping more communities have CSAs? Yeah. So, um, you know, that's, that's what we're trying to do is teach people how to do this in their homes. But I do think that, um, that a lot of people just, you know, will, would rather opt to support their local farmer, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what you should do. Um, you really need to, you know, people need to start stepping up and, you know, putting their money where their mouth is because everybody talks about how cool local farms are, Yeah. but, but then they just go to the grocery store, you know? So it's like, you know, um, just get to know those farmers. And, um, I think that's the future of food part one. And then part two is like, you know, when things get really ridiculous with overpopulation, which is happening at a dramatic rate then people will be forced to grow it themselves. Like they just won't have another option. So, so there's that. That is, I mean, it's interesting to think about, well, you have to kind of think ahead and you know, what, what could happen. And, you know, even if, you know, you may not be worried about that, I don't really know, but growing yourself is just an awesome thing to do, but also supporting your local farmer. I think they're both really important. So what's your view of um, future farming? I mean, if you had a dream, like, I guess your dream of future farming, not maybe what you think might happen, what you hope happens. Yeah. So what I'd like to see is that, um, you know, here in, in North Carolina, we have a massive amount of, of development occurring at a rate that's just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And that's all over the country, really. But, you know, you know developers are really um, – taking advantage of the population boom and um, uh, they understand that people, you know, there's more people <laughs> right. and places to live and they need more shopping malls and they need blah, blah, blah. 
uh, more car dealerships and more parking garages. And, you know, so development is happening at an alarming rate. I, what I'd like to see is that developers step up responsibly and add that urban farm right next to that parking garage or right next to that, you know, apartment building or condo or whatever they're building or on top of the roof of that condo have a sustainable farm, you know, a hydroponics farm right on top of that roof. You know, th these are the things that, that I'm designing right now that I can show developers. I can give them plans and say like, this is how it works. This is how much it costs. This is how easy it is to do and, and to, and to maintain. So, um, uh, I've actually been able to do that with, uh, one of my partners, one of our partners, who's a developer, a commercial developer and landholder. And he is awesome. He's, um, not one of the bad guys. He's one of the good guys because he believes in this stuff and he's happy to facilitate urban farming. And so we actually have a couple of our farm sites on some of his properties and, and, uh, you know, we, you know, we pay the taxes on those properties and, and the bills associated with that, but he's, you know, he, he knows that this stuff works. And so he, he allows us to do that. And he wants that associated with his business model anyway, because he knows that, you know, you can't have a successful community without urban farming, without, without growing food in an urban setting. Um, you know, and, and, and that helps, you know, the whole community, not just from, health standpoint, but also, you know, it makes, it makes his other properties look more attractive, you right. know, small farmer nearby. So, you know, it, it's a win-win for everybody. So I, you know, I see that model um, being, you know, really thriving in the future. If, if business, if leaders in business start incorporating that type of thinking into their structure, their business structure, um, everybody stands a greater chance of success. Oh, absolutely. And what I like is you're dreaming big, but you're also, you're already taking steps to those dreams. Like you're showing people how this change can work already instead of just saying, oh, this would be cool if it happened. Like you're, you're making this happen. Like you said, with your friend who's developing. Got no choice. Have to make it happen. Well, right. And that's what I love. It's like, you know, those go-getters and the doers that are showing people. And I love this education. That's why I love talking to people like you um, that give me ideas just right above my cabinets. That's right. <laughs> I'm looking at him right now going, gosh, that's about 75 heads of lettuce right there. <laughs> I, would, I would have never. That's just like space to me. That's all <laughs> that is just space to me. I would have never considered that. But especially, I mean, checking it every few days, I can handle that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you just, you just check the water level every like couple, two, three days and you're fine. That's amazing. And then harvest your lettuce when you're hungry. <laughs> See, I just got to talk to my husband. This probably will happen now. <laughs> I can I can send you the information on how to do it if you want. No, I seriously would love to. My husband, he he totally supports this, and he he's the one that started a garden, you know, years ago in our backyard, and he started uh -huh. composting. These were like his ideas, and I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, let's do that. So he'd be all over that. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, if there's anything that you would like the audience to take away from the day, what's one thing you really want you know bring home? Um, you know, I mean, the obvious is, is just, you know, um, you're doing yourself a disservice by not working with your, your small local farms, um, your urban farms. Um, but you know, you, you really are hurting yourself because you're, you're missing out on something awesome. Um, not just from the food standpoint, cause the food's amazing. It's delicious and it's cheaper than the grocery store. Um, and way better. Mm -hmm. um, so you're missing out from that standpoint, but also by 
you know, by not joining those CSAs, you're missing out on relationships with other people, those other members that you get to hang out with when you're picking up your share, those people you get to meet. Um, you know, at the end of our CSA every year, we have a, a party. You know, you're missing out on that party. Um, you, know, you know, people are just, they're just missing out when they don't explore that as an option when they think that the only way they can get their food is just like traditional modern ways of getting food. So, um, you know, that's the main takeaway is, is, is guys, you know, you know, it's, it's not about supporting your farmer. It's about just help yourselves, you know, help yourselves. Yes. It'll support the farmer too, but help yourselves to something that's there that you're, that you're missing out on because it's awesome. And once you try it, you'll, you'll see right away that it's God, it's just night and day. Yeah. Well, that's so, great advice for everyone. Take away for that. Yeah. For that well, discussion about this whole topic of CSA. Well, I mean, it's, it is really just great advice or reminders for those that may have wanted to do it or has let life get in the way. Cause I know we all can do that. So I think that's great advice for everyone to take away. So how can they find you? If they want to look up, you know, Infinity 100 Farms. Oh, yeah. So, well, the website's infinity100.com. It's not infinity100farms.com. It's just infinity100.com. Spelled out, not 100, just 100 with an H. So infinity100.com is the website. My con direct contact information is on that website. Um, they can also uh, reach me, david, at infinity100.com. Uh, they can reach me through the Raleigh City Farm website. They can send smoke signals up in the air. <laughs> I mean, it's not hard to find me. So, um, uh, yeah. Yep. Awesome. Well, they, I they really... Google my name because there's like a ton of information out there with my name. There is. <laughs> <laughs> well, David, I really appreciate your time tonight. I learned a lot. And um, yes, you're going to be emailing me how to get going above there. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks so much. That. I'd love to see that happen. That'd hey, I'll, yeah, I'll send you pictures after we get it up and going. That'd be awesome. You'll be amazed at how easy it is, too. Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited for the project for my husband, too. Now, we're actually moving, but we'll still have... Um, We'll still have room above our cabinets. So I'm there still you. excited about that. So as we're doing our <laughs> remodel, we'll just add that piece in. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Awesome. Thanks, David. Thank you. We'd like to remind our audience that the views of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of Biteable or of our staff personally. The purpose of the Biteable podcast is to encourage spirited dialogue around topics like food, nutrition, animal and human welfare, and the food system. Part of having an open and spirited dialogue is accepting that others have views that are different than ours and working to understand how their experiences have differed from our own. We encourage all listeners to do their own research on any and all topics discussed during the show. That being said, we hope you enjoyed the podcast and thanks for listening.